0: Guys, give it up for the band. Good job, band. Hey, happy Easter, everybody. Man, it's so, so good to see. I love Easter. I love Easter because as a grown man, I can wear pastel colors on Easter. That's good. You all look really good on Easter. Everyone likes to dress up, take pictures. I love Easter. Spring, it's awesome. I love Easter even though you already know what I'm talking about. Uh, I love Easter because those of us who are followers of Christ, who have put our faith in Jesus, we get to celebrate the epicenter of what our faith is grounded in, the resurrection of Jesus. And as we celebrate, it reminds us of our future hope despite our current circumstances. It reminds us of the promise of eternal life despite physical death. It reminds us of our salvation despite our sin. It reminds us of ultimate victory despite present defeat. It reminds us of God's reckless love for us despite... Our rejection of him. I love Easter because also it's a perfect time for those of you who have not put your faith in Jesus to do so. And listen, I know it's just totally crazy for me to say, but if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, I think you should consider becoming a follower of Christ today. I think you should consider it in spite of some hypocritical ones that you know. In spite of your bad church experience, in spite of your issues with the Bible, in spite of your college professor who made a good argument that this was all a myth, in spite of the pain in your life, in spite of your unanswered prayers, in spite of your doubts, your questions, and your reservations, in spite of your personal experience, I think you should consider, at least reconsider, putting your faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life today. And I think you should because of one thing. One thing that changed everything in the first century and changes everything with you and for me today. Now I realize some of you, you, you have never considered becoming a follower of Christ and you have no intention of, consi- intention of considering that today. You're only here because your mom made you or because of your church experience growing up. You felt like this was the right thing to do or someone from Relevant just kept inviting you over and over and over again. And you wanted to get them to shut up. So you finally just came or that pretty girl, she invited you and you're trying to impress her. And like, but this ain't your thing. Well, I just want to let you know, I'm glad you're here. You picked a great day to come. Others of you, you you grew up with faith. Maybe at some point in time you even called yourself a follower of Christ. But you've just walked away from your faith. And then some of you... Are followers of Christ. Some of you have put your faith in Jesus, but you really struggle to keep, to grow, and to maintain your faith. Well, if that describes any of you when, I, I assume when you look at people with strong, with strong faith, it could be your dad or that leader or a pastor or your friend, you look at these people with strong faith in Jesus, and you probably assume one of three things about them. You assume they're gullible right they don't have doubts about faith and about god and about the reality of the you know reliability of the bible and they probably never had any doubts well i'm just not that gullible or you think maybe they're simple minded like they don't have any reservations because they've never questioned anything and i'm just i'm just not that simple minded i have all kinds of of reservations Because I have all kinds of unanswered questions. I mean, how could a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? How could he allow this pain in my life and for me to go through this? I mean, what about all the inconsistencies in the Bible? There's, I mean, they're just simple-minded. Or you think that they're just irrational. (laughs) They just choose to close their eyes to reason. They have faith based on feelings and not logic. I'm a rational person who uses my brain. I can't have blind faith. I have to see it to believe it, and I just can't believe it because the Bible tells me so. So the reason that I can't and I won't put my faith in Jesus, the reason I walked away from my faith, the reason I struggle to keep, grow, or maintain faith is because I have some real doubts, some real questions, and some real reservations. Well, so if, if that's you, this is something you just got to know. You've got to know that faith and doubt, faith and questions, reservations, hesitation, faith and doubt, they're not mutually exclusive. I mean, the only people in the world Who put their faith in Jesus and become a follower of Christ without any reservation are children. That's it. No one who follows Jesus as an adult, me included, does so without experiencing some doubts, some reservations, and some questions. As a matter of fact, even Jesus' closest friends, I mean, the people who saw him face to face who walked with him for three years, who heard everything that he said with their own ears, who saw all the crazy miracles that he performed. They had reservations, and they had questions, and they had doubts. Yet, they ended up with unshakable faith in Jesus to the point that they were killed for it. But it wasn't until one event occurred that everything changed for them. See, leading up to the first century, every Jew had been eagerly awaiting for God to send the Messiah, the Savior, the Anointed One, the Son of God, who would save them, who they read about in the Hebrew Scriptures, which we call the Old Testament. When you read the New Testament, you see that the Jewish religious leaders, they had a really, really big problem with Jesus. And the problem that they had with him was his message about who he claimed to be. I mean, because Jesus said some crazy things like this. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. He's he's going, hey, I'm not here to tell you about resurrection and life. I am the resurrection and I am the life. The one who trusts, uh, believes, has faith in my principles, nope, my promises, nope, my ideals, nope, my ideas, nope, my teachings, nope. The one who has faith in me, who trusts in me, will have eternal life. And then check this crazy thing out that he said. He said, "I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." He's going, "I'm not a truth and I'm not a way to eternal life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And because of that, no one is forgiven their vi- for their violation of sin against Holy Creator God. No one is reunited with their heavenly Father in this life and the next. No one is saved from the eternal death, uh, uh, from saved from eternal death and given eternal life, except through me. Except through putting their faith in me. He said these kind of crazy things all the time. And then one time he's hanging out with his his, his disciples, his team, and he goes, "Hey guys, who do you?" Who do you think I am? And Peter, one of his, one of his you know, kind of inner circle closest friends, uh, one of his disciples looks at him and says, uh, well, I think you're the Messiah. I think you're the Savior. I think you're the Son of God whom we've been waiting for. You're the Messiah. And Jesus doesn't go, whoa, 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 Peter, don't get ahead of yourself. Like, keep it down. Jesus looks right back at him and says, you're exactly right. That's exactly who I am and that's a problem. I mean, that was heresy to the Jewish religious leaders. See, you got to know, the problem with Jesus and the problem that the Jewish religious leaders had with him was that he kept talking about who he was and what he came to do. He he kept claiming that he alone could forgive sins. That he alone could save from the penalty, our death penalty, that our sin deserved. That he alone could provide eternal life. And he repeatedly told his followers that he would die, but not to fret. Because as the long-awaited Messiah that they've been waiting for, that he would defeat death and rise three days later to accomplish all of that. So he kept instructing them to trust in him alone. Because he was the son of God. I mean, these were huge, crazy claims and after all Jesus' followers heard him say, after all the miracles they saw him with their own eyes perform, you would think that all their questions and doubts and reservations about who he claimed to be that they would all be removed. But then they saw him die on a cross. And this is so important. When Jesus died, their faith in him and who he was Died with him. You've got to to know this. When Jesus was crucified, all Jesus' followers lost faith in him because the Son of God can't be killed. The Messiah can't be filled. And Jesus claimed he was the son of God. He was the Messiah. All of Jesus' followers lost faith in him because the resurrection and life can't be crucified. And Jesus claimed he was the resurrection and life. All of Jesus' followers lost faith in him because dead people stay dead. So everything Jesus claimed about himself died with him. When Jesus died... The people who knew him best and who ended up bringing us the story of Jesus did not believe what many of us believe about Jesus today. And they didn't believe it because they saw him die and dead people stayed dead. It was the end. You, you, guys, this is so important. You've got to understand this. When Jesus died, no one believed his message. No one. When Jesus died, no one believed his claims no one when jesus died no one be- no one believed his his claims they now believed he was just a powerful speaker whose powerful speaking got him crucified when jesus died there were no followers of jesus not even one i mean shoot even before even before Jesus was crucified after his arrest by the Jewish religious leaders through the Roman government, his closest followers who, who, followers who, who ended up recording uh, in what happened in what we now call the New Testament, they scattered and abandoned him. I mean, the very people who brought us everything we now know about Jesus admit when he was arrested, they ran away like cowards. They admit they no longer believed he was who he claimed to be. And the one thing The one thing that reignited their faith in Jesus was not having all their questions answered, was not having all their reservations removed, was not having all their doubts erased, was not a feeling, it was not something Jesus taught that they remembered, it was not a book, and it wasn't something written in the Hebrew Scriptures. It was what they saw with their own eyes. It was one event that they were eyewitnesses of. It was the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus alone changed everything for them. And John, an eyewitness of all this, one of Jesus' best friends, one of his 12 disciples, tells us how how it unfolded in John 20, and here's how the story goes. Early on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. So you got to know after Jesus was crucified on Friday two men had wrapped his body you know in the cloth and you know prepared his body and then placed his body in the tomb and the women knew if the men did it it probably needed redone. So Mary, Mary Magdalene, and, who knew Jesus well, and Jesus knew her well, and, and a few other women, they went to the tomb uh, hoping that the guards, the Roman guards who were guarding the tomb, would remove the huge stone that was in front of the tomb so they could go into the tomb and properly prepare Jesus' dead body. Well, to their surprise, when they arrived at the tomb, the Roman guards were nowhere to be found. And then, check this out, and they saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now, this is so important in understanding the Easter story. Women had no credibility in the first century. None. In the first century, women could not testify in court. In the first century, a woman's testimony was considered unreliable. So if there was any way possible for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the writers of the Gospels, the, the, the four documents that document the life of Jesus, the, four, the first four books of our New Testament, if there was any way possible for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to somehow tell the story of the resurrection and leave women out of it, they would have done it. Because by saying that women were, were the first people to find the empty tomb, it discredited their credibility. By saying that women were their first discredited this account in the first century. Do you know why the writers of scripture tell us that women were the first people to discover an empty tomb? It's because women were the first people to discover an empty tomb. That's the only reason they would have wrote women into this story. You've got to know that. So, anyway, we're continuing on. So she came, so Mary came running to Simon Peter, that's one of Jesus 12 disciples, and the other disciple, that's John, the one who's writing this, he's writing in third person. The other disciple, the one Jesus loved, just so you know, John does something really funny throughout the rest of this time. He basically name drops. He's gone, hey, by the way, just so you know, Jesus is my best friend, not your best friend, and my best friend could beat up your best friend. I just want you to know all that. And he loves me more than he loves everyone else, just FYI. You'll see it as we go through this. So the, the one Jesus loved and said, they, I don't know who they are, guys, but they, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Do you notice, notice what Mary didn't do? She didn't run to the disciples and go, praise God, Jesus risen from the dead. When Mary found an empty tomb, she never assumed a resurrection. She assumed someone stole the body. So she ran back to tell the disciples, the same guys who Jesus had been telling for three years that he would, he, he would rise three days after he died. And not one of them believed him. And how do we know that not one of them believed them? Because no one was at the tomb three days later. Jesus rose literally to an audience of none. Nobody expected nobody, which is why nobody was there. Nobody was standing outside the tomb counting down. 10, 9, 8. You ready for this? 7, 6. There was no campfires, no tents, no band, no celebration, no floats. The people who brought us the story of the resurrection sheepishly but honestly admit we thought when he died, he would stay dead. And I don't think it was until that moment when Mary showed up to Peter and, and John where they thought, whoa, what if? What if what he said would happen has happened? What if his body was not stolen? What if he has risen like he said he would and I imagine their faces go white and they're just blown away and they're like, "Oh my gosh, what what if we've got to go see for ourselves?" Verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple, that's John talking about himself in third person, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple, that's John, remember, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He's like, I just want you to know I'm loved more and I'm faster than this guy. He, John, bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him, just so you remember that he's slower, and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. I'll come back to that detail of the story in just a second. Finally, John gets enough courage. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, because he was faster also went inside, and I love this, and that's when he saw and believed. You know what Peter and John saw that made them immediately know that Jesus' body wasn't stolen? It wasn't bright lights. Or even that the stone was removed away from the tomb. That's pretty impressive, though. It was the linen. Because I imagine they're going... If you're gonna steal a body, if you're gonna steal a body out of a tomb, like someone's going they're gonna, this is gonna be a rush. They're, they're not gonna go take their time. They're gonna be rushing in. And if they were gonna take all the linen off the dead body, which I don't know why anyone would do that, you're gonna like rip it off. You're not gonna like take it off nicely and fold it up and put it in a spot. And I imagine they're sitting there going, no one steals a body like this. This is not how this works. And they're going, oh my gosh. I mean, after three years of, of of following Jesus, of hearing everything he taught, of seeing all the miracles he performed, when Peter and John saw Jesus died, remember, they lost faith in him that he was the Messiah. And the one thing that changed everything, the one thing that made them finally believe was not something they remembered Jesus taught, was not any of the miracles that he had performed before, it was not even his crucifixion. It was seeing the empty tomb from themselves, knowing it can only mean one thing. That Jesus has pulled off what he predicted he would do. The resurrection, it changed everything for them. However, it's interesting how differently they each responded to the possibility of it. Peter, he just rushed right into the tomb, almost like he was already bought in. Which makes perfect sense because of all of Jesus' disciples, Peter struggled the least with faith. I mean, people... Peter always ran in head first. I mean, when Jesus asked his disciples, hey, who do you think I am? Peter was the first one, without hesitation, like, hey, you're the Messiah. And then one time when the disciples are in a boat in a storm, Jesus comes walking on the water, if you've ever heard that story before, and they're all freaking out, and Jesus is like, hey, it's me, you know, come out and join me. And Peter was the first one out of the boat. And I imagine Peter running to the tomb that day going, I knew it, I'm so stupid for not being there. So he ran in, Head first into the tomb, and that's when everything changed for him. And some of us are like Peter, right? You're bought in. You're bought into Jesus being the Savior, Jesus being your Savior, and the only thing holding you back from Jesus changing everything in your life is that you aren't running in headfirst. John, however, John paused before going into the tomb. Why? We don't know for sure. I mean, it surely wasn't because he didn't love Jesus. I mean, he loved Jesus. He knew Jesus. He was committed to Jesus more than anyone. And I'm reading between the lines here, but I believe that John paused outside that tomb because he knew if Jesus really did rise from the grave, that everything was going to change. I believe that as he is standing outside that tomb, he was remembering everything Jesus said about himself and what that meant for his followers. He was remembering times when Jesus said things like this. Anyone who wants to come after me must deny themselves and take up their cross and then follow me. And he's like, whoa. I believe he knew that once he walked into that tomb, his life would never look the same. And he's preparing himself for that. And some of us are like, John, you're hesitant to be all in because you're not sure you're ready for what that will mean for you once you are. But when did John finally and fully believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be? He told us it wasn't until he set his fears and his reservations aside and walked into that tomb. And that was the moment everything changed for him because that was the moment he knew Jesus has defeat, had defeated death just like he said he would. So there, John and Peter are inside the tomb. And as you continue to read, you see they're just like blown away. And they're like, oh my gosh, he's ri-, like, he has risen. He pulls off. And where is he? And we don't know. But we got to go tell the other guys. So they run and they find the other disciples. They're like, guys, Jesus did what he said he would do. He's, he's alive. He's, he's alive. And they're like, where is he? And they're like, we don't know. Like, but he's alive. And all of a sudden, I imagine look at each, all of them look at each other and they're thinking, holy cow, the Jewish religious leaders in the Roman government are going to think we stole the body. They're not going to, no, they're not going to believe he's a lie. They're going to think we stole the body because we're his closest friends. And so they hid. They g- locked themselves in the house and they hid out of fear that, that they would be arrested. And all of a sudden, you read, as they're locked in the room, Jesus was in the room with them. How we got in the room, I don't know. I don't know if it was like a beam me up thing, and, or if we just like walked through the wall. I don't know. But they, they like you would. They start freaking out. They've never seen us before. All of a sudden, there's Jesus, and they're like losing their mind, scrambling around. And Jesus, you know, gave a whole like Christian cliche, like "Peace be with you." This is like you know, like Jesus' way of saying "Chill out," you know. And, and he showed them his hands and his side, and they're like, oh, my God. At that moment in time, like they're filled with amazement and, a, and, and, and joy. At that moment was the first time they all fully believed that Jesus was who he claimed to be. The resurrection its what changed everything for them. Verse 25, four. the story picks back up. Now Thomas, one of the 12, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, was not with the, with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not be leave. If you ever wondered where the phrase doubting Thomas is from, it's from this story in the Bible. From one of Jesus' closest Friends. I mean, the other disciples, they go find Thomas, and they tell him that they saw Jesus alive. But Thomas didn't believe him. I mean, and he didn't believe him not because he thought they were gullible, simple-minded, or irrational people. He didn't believe him because he didn't think they were trustworthy people. He didn't believe them because he understandably had doubts and reservations and questions about a dead guy coming back to life. And because of that, he needed to see it for himself story continues. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Not because he didn't have any doubts and reservations, but because of the possibility that they weren't crazy. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he wouldn't have said that again if they weren't all freaked out about it. Like, you'd never get used to that. Then he said to, Jesus said to Thomas, and I love this, he turned his attention immediately to the one who doubted. Not because he was disappointed in Thomas, but because he knew this was hard to believe. And Jesus said to him, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. He's going, Thomas, come here. Come here. Let me show you. Thomas, look. Thomas, look. Listen, poke around on me enough, long enough to believe that it's me. And so Thomas did. And then Thomas said to Jesus, and this is the strongest statement of faith in the New Testament from doubting Thomas, from anyone. My Lord, my God. What did Thomas do with his doubts, his reservations, and his questions? He showed up with an open heart to investigate And when Thomas showed up, it changed everything for him because resurrected Jesus showed back up too. And at that moment, Thomas stopped doubting. At that moment, Thomas finally and fully believed that Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus was the Messiah for the very first time because the same guy who he witnessed die on a cross walked into the room. The resurrection changed everything for him. And he would have missed it if he let his hesitation stop him. From simply showing up. And some of us are like Thomas. You have doubts and reservations and questions that prevent you from just blindly believing. But Jesus is not offended by that. Jesus is not put off by that. As a matter of fact, he welcomes you with those. He invites you to show up, to investigate, to poke around. And check out what Jesus said to him. Jesus told him, Thomas, because you have seen me, You believed. I mean, remember, when Jesus died, the disciples no longer believed he was who he claimed to be. And the one thing that reignited their faith was what they saw with their own eyes. Jesus alive. I mean, in the years that followed, many of these guys were killed for proclaiming that Jesus was the Messiah. And you've got to know, they didn't die over blind faith. They didn't die over a principle they believed. They didn't die for the, 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 for the principles and the ideas and the ideals and the teachings of Jesus. They died for what they saw, a resurrected Jesus, their resurrected Savior. The resurrection changed everything for them. And I, I love Jesus' last statement here because he says it about you and about me. He says, because you've seen me, Thomas, you have believed. Blessed, which means divinely Blessed. Which means forgiven for sins, which means saved from our death penalty, which means reconciled to our heavenly Father, which means we've received eternal life. Blessed are those who have not seen yet had believed. Jesus didn't say, Blessed are those who have no doubts, no reservations, and no questions. Blessed are those without fear. Blessed are those who have faith as big as mountains. No, 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 no. Jesus said, blessed are those who put their faith in me, who follow me because of the eyewitnesses' accounts of my resurrection. Even though they weren't able to see it for themselves. Even with their doubts, their reservations, and their questions about other things. And that's you, and that's me. The bottom line and that I hope you remember from this Easter is this. The resurrection, it changes everything. The resurrection changed everything for Peter and John and the other disciples and the hundreds of others who witnessed his resurrection. And the resurrection changes everything for you and for me today as well. The resurrection doesn't erase all doubts, answer all questions, remove all reservations about everything. It just makes those things smaller. It just makes them less significant. Less significant. The resurrection means faith in Jesus is not founded and grounded on something mystical but on something historical. Peter and John and the other dis- other disciples faith was not founded and grounded on feelings on principles on ideologies but on one event that they were eyewitnesses of my faith and yours if you're a follower of christ is not and should not be founded and grounded on the behavior of those who claim to be followers of Christ on our church experience on answered prayers on having our answers to uh, an answer to every question uh, or because the bible tells me so our faith in jesus Jesus is and should be founded and grounded on one thing the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection means that when questions storm our mind, when doubts creep in, when reservations surface, that our faith in Jesus can go unshaken because our faith in Jesus is not a gullible, simple minded, irrational faith. The resurrection means we don't have to try to reconcile every doubt, every question, every reservation that you and others have about what's written in the Bible to keep a man to maintain our. Our faith because our faith in Jesus is not founded and grounded on that the resurrection means that when we uh, that that what we have faith in is unexplainable but it's also Undeniable. See, the resurrection, it changes everything. The resurrection, uh, Jesus' resurrection validates Jesus' crucifixion. It validates what Jesus said he came to do on our behalf, to die in our place as a sinless perfect, sa- sinless, perfect sacrifice, to atone for our penalty of sin against Holy Creator God, to forgive us for our violation of sin against him, to restore and redeem and reconcile our broken relationship with him in this life and in the next. The resurrection of Jesus validates Jesus' claim that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. The resurrection of Jesus validates Jesus' claims that forgiveness and salvation and eternal life is available for every single person who puts their faith in him by asking him to be the forgiver of their sins and leader of their life. See, the resurrection of Jesus, it changes everything. The resurrection means that your faith in Jesus is not in vain. The resurrection means that you can trust everything that Jesus said was true, because any guy who predict his death and resurrection and then pull it off, you can just kind of go with whatever that guy said. The resurrection means that when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, that there is a resurrection and a life that's available to you through him. The resurrection means that you have, you can have access to your heavenly father today. The resurrection means that you can be assured of God's extravagant love for you, that he always has loved you, will love you, and always will love you. The resurrection means that hope and peace and joy and Life and fulfillment and healing is accessible and available regardless of our circumstances and regardless of our situation. The resurrection means that since Jesus was resurrected from the dead, your marriage can be too. That relationship can be too. Your freedom and your hope and your peace and your reputation and your mind and your life can be too. The resurrection, it changes everything. But my question for you this Easter is, what should the resurrection change for you? And some of you are going, nothing, because you haven't convinced me of anything. That's okay. I wasn't trying to convince you of anything. I'm just glad you're here. And I hope you return, because we'd love to have you back. But others of you, whether you'd say you're a follower of Christ or not, right now, your heart's stirring a little bit. and you don't know why and you're not sure what that is And I believe it's God stirring you. He wants you to know Jesus and experience the power and the hope and the peace and the life and the healing of the resurrection in your life for the first time or again. But you're not sure that's possible because you've been told it requires this big blind faith and you still have questions and doubts and reservations. Well, as we already saw, faith and doubt, faith and questions, faith and reservations are not mutually exclusive. True, real, life-transforming faith in Jesus does not require all of our doubt be removed or all of our questions be answered. True, real, life-transforming faith in Jesus is about following Jesus one next step at a time in spite of our reservations and questions and doubts because the resurrection, we go, that changed everything. And sometimes, just so you know, One little next step of faith to follow Jesus is the biggest display of faith that there is. If your heart's stirring just a little bit. I believe it's because your heavenly father wants the power of the resurrection to change everything in your life. I believe he doesn't want you to miss this moment. I believe he's inviting you to take a next step of faith to follow Jesus. And for some, like Peter, your next step is to run in head first. I mean, you're bought in, but you're not all in. And you've been feeling or you felt a stirring already to go all in. If that's you, you already, I don't need to say anything more because you already know what that means. So fully engage. Run in head first. Others, like John, you're sitting outside the tomb. You've asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins. You've asked him to be your savior. But you've been hesitant to make him the leader of your life your Lord because you're fearful of what that might mean and your next step is to walk into that tomb and follow Jesus with that one thing and I don't know what that one thing is but I guarantee you do because it's that one thing you felt convicted of, inspired of, about moved, you felt like I should either stop or start or move toward it could be a relational thing, a sexual thing, a financial thing Jesus is inviting you to follow him with that one thing. For some of you, like Thomas, your next step is to investigate with an open heart. You've been around this church thing. You've been around all the Jesus stuff. And maybe you even call yourself a follower of Christ. But your reservations and questions and doubts have turned you into a skeptic, a critic, and a doubting Thomas. And like Thomas, your next step is to just keep showing up to keep being exposed to practical biblical teaching, to keep investigating faith in Jesus with an open heart, and I believe through that next step, small next step of faith, you will encounter God's presence, and it will change everything. Now, listen, if you need, want help investigating, we want to help. You actually have a great environment for that called Starting Point. Uh, Starting Point is a An eight week class we have here at Relevant where you can explore faith, you can ask questions, you can express your doubt with no judgment at all. And it starts up here in a few weeks, and uh, you can sign up for it today. And I think this will help you to investigate. But for many of you, your next step is to put your faith in Jesus. As I said earlier, I think you should strongly consider putting your faith in Jesus, not because you don't have any questions or doubts or reservations but ultimately because Jesus claimed we all need saved from eternal death because of our violation of sin against Holy Creator God. And then he claimed to be your and my Savior. And then he died on a cross claiming that was sufficient for the forgiveness of our sins. And then he defeated death by rising from the grave, proving that he alone is the Savior, that he alone is the only one who can save and give you and me eternal life. I can't think of a better moment to put your faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of your sins to lead your life than today, then resurrection Saturday. Because the resurrection changes everything. If you're feeling a stirring to do that, don't dismiss that. I believe that stirring's from God. I believe that this can be the day the resurrection changes everything for you. So let me ask you, what's your next step? Will you take it? Listen, I don't know everything that will happen when you do, but I do know that Jesus' resurrection proved that he's in the resurrection business and proved that he can and wants to resurrect what's dead in you. So whatever your next step of faith is, take it. When you do, it will change everything. The band's going to sing one final song, and as you sit and listen, if your heart is stirred to take one of those maybe next steps that I mentioned, I just encourage you during the song to choose to take it. And then after the song's over, I'm gonna come back up and I'm gonna pray for you. And for those of you who wanna put your faith in Jesus today by asking him to be the forgiver of your sins and lead your life, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that as well. And pray, dear Lord, uh, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for loving us enough to send your son for us to die in our place for the forgiveness of our sins. And Jesus, we praise you. We declare you as the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God because of one reason, because of your resurrection. And Lord, I pray that we choose to follow you because you proved that you are the resurrection and the life. And I pray that as we choose to take next steps to follow you, that we experience that. Lord, for anyone who's never put their faith in you, Jesus, by asking you to be the forgiver of their sins and leader of their life, I pray that right now, where they're at at home or in this room, they choose to do that. That right now they declare their need for a Savior. Declare because of your death that was sufficient for the payment of their sin. Right now, Jesus, I pray that they ask you to be their forgiver, their Savior. Ask you to be the leader of their life, their Lord. Lord, in this moment, I pray that through the power of your spirit, you give them assurance of their resurrection and their life. I pray all this in Jesus' name.